This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, well, we've made it 22 weeks down, and now we're in the full stretch on the chase for the championship. We'll go around the National Cross League and talk to four great analysts in preparation for four outstanding games, plus another round of box bets. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Flair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! his seventh of the year. When you get your opportunity, you got to make the most of it, but simple there to open up some space. Here's Jackson, scores! Big high shot low and puts it through the five hole of Bouquet to make it 10-8 San Diego. Looking, gives it now to Fennell. Fennell's got a lead, Fennell scores! Eric Fennell from the outside, and Halifax now with a two-goal lead. Bomberry, not this time, loose, and Higgins picks up the loose ball. He goes long outlet. He's got a man who's leaked out. This is Blaze Reardon chasing it down on the board eventually. He's checked a couple of times, goes in and scores the game winner. Blaze Reardon has just sent the Philadelphia Wings to the postseason. We've made it. We are finally here. The playoffs 
are on the horizon. 22 weeks down, and now we get to the good stuff. Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter at PGreggy. I am Teddy Jenner on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast and on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Patty, what's going on, man? Uh, Leafs are doing okay, I guess you could say. The Raptors are out. The Jays are rolling. NHL playoffs are underway. Um, but we don't care about any of that. We're all focused on the NLL postseason. How jacked are you, my friend? I can't wait, man. I feel, I feel like at some point the season has felt like it's been going on forever. But at other points, it feels like it was just yesterday um, rolling into the nest for the first game of the season. Like this has been such a wild and crazy, crazy season, obviously with the COVID pause, um, all the upsets, you know, all the tremendous seasons that we've seen individually and from these teams. I think it's going to be fitting that we have a crazy postseason and the way that the standings have shaken down, there isn't one result that would shock me. No, not at all. I think every game has the ability to be a blowout and at the same time be an upset and at the same time go to overtime. And I think, you know, yes, it would have been awesome if it would have been four and four East and West, but the Wings found a way to claw themselves back into the conversation, get that crossover spot. Uh, and that's an intriguing matchup. We'll talk uh, about all four matchups as we'll be joined by uh, John Abbott, Jamie Shuchuk, Steve Rommel, and Cooper Perkins as we go around the National Cross League to focus on each one of those playoff games. But let's go uh, quickly back to the final weekend where every single team played. Uh, Albany with a 10-goal run at one point beats up on New York, 17-9. Philadelphia squeaks out. They allow Georgia to score two goals. In the final minute or so to tie that game, but Blaze Reardon wins it in overtime. Halifax edges Rochester 13 to 10 to secure third place. Toronto beats Buffalo, holding Dane Smith pointless. Saskatchewan beats up on Panther City to end their run. Colorado and Calgary, what a crazy game on TSN. It was 12 yeah. 5 at one point. Colorado gets all the way back to within one, but a couple empty netters seals it for Calgary and they get second and then San Diego holds on to beat Vancouver and they get home floor advantage in the West. Was there one game that was more surprising than the others for you? Hmm. You know what? I, I know the theme of this season has been, you know, expect the unexpected. Um, but I think everyone, they, everything kind of, shaped up maybe you could say the toronto rock game but everyone knows for the past few weeks i would even say month i've been kind of singing the praises of this toronto rock group and saying that you know this is the most well-rounded team in the nll and uh, watch out for them heading into the postseason but i guess i would say that would be it i just did not anticipate such a lackluster performance from buffalo and i know the game really hasn't, you know, last few games really haven't mm -hmm. meant much for them. They haven't been playing meaningful lacrosse, but just the message from that room was they really wanted to fine-tune their game heading into the postseason. But you got to give kudos to Nick Rose and that defense for stifling that defense, or sorry, that offense, and and proving it. And talking to Matt, Matt Sawyer this week, he was 
quite honest and said like the the offense in the first half in the first three quarters even he was not pleased and he said they were going through the motions and you could Mm -hmm. tell they were worried about this week against Halifax and then he kind of challenged them and the defense challenged them to wake up and they woke up and got the job done uh, I'll I'll take uh, the line of the Albany New York game. I thought that would have been much closer, but sure. as I mentioned yep. off the top, that that ten goal run by the Albany Firewolves and, and the play of Doug Jamison um, really shines a light on how talented and good this team is, and scary they will be in a one game playoff, which every single game in the first round will be one and done. You have a bad five minutes, you have a bad quarter, a bad half, a bad game. Your entire season of work is over with. You Mm -hmm. cannot rest on your laurels. You cannot just think, oh, we're destined to win. You have to show up, you have to show out, and you got to put it all on the floor. And it is going to be an amazing, amazing first round. And before we get in to all our guests, if you want to look your best heading to a post game this season, Head over to NLLshop.com or Fanatics.ca and get the best NLL gear going. You want to look your best and show up for your team, NLLshop.com or Fanatics.ca. All right, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, You kind of alluded to it. Do you want to go up or down first? Well, I think I can go with the thumbs up Two birds, one stone kind of thing? Yeah, let's, you know what? Thumbs up for the Toronto Rock for playing spoiler on Dane Smith's night. Like, I honestly, I can't confirm this, but I bet you in that locker room, especially on the defensive side of the floor, Nick Rose said, let's not let Dane have this special night and break the record against us. We don't want to be a part of history. And they shut him down, and he still had a ton of shots on net, but they weren't high quality. The defense kept him away, and Nick Rose was tremendous anytime it was a quality uh, shot on net. So, Kudos to them. Big thumbs up for the Toronto Rock for playing spoiler. My big thumbs down, though, goes <laughs> to the Toronto Rock for playing spoiler. Come on. <laughs> we wanted to see Dane Smith break his own record. And with how ridiculous that record is, and yeah, you can say, well, he, he has already done it before. He was close to breaking again. Uh, he's going to do it again at some point. I don't know because of how of an unbelievable season we've seen from this Bandits team. I don't know if we're going to see the entire offense back next year. I don't know what, what that's going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, you can never guarantee that we are going to see it again. Is it likely that he's going to be sniffing around that record again? Probably. Uh, but this is the obviously the closest that he's gotten to it. Um, but for him to be held scoreless for the first time, I think it was in, since 2017, yeah. Like that is absolutely ridiculous. And I know I'm giving kudos for the rock um, for, for shutting him down. He would give himself a thumbs down and he says he needs to be better. The team needs to be better. And hopefully for them that that offense will be better because Doug Jamison in between the pipes, that defense went healthy. It is a tough, tough challenge. And we said it already, Teddy. Um Anything, anything can happen in a one game. Anything can happen in a one game. I bet you if there was a line for Dane Smith to get, what, he needed three points, um, the odds would have been really against you if you were putting we, money down for that. We, to threw, we threw it in our parlay, and we were joking, oh, could you imagine if this oh, was yeah. the one that 
the one that blows it. Luckily, it was another game that blew it, which yeah. we'll get into a little bit later in our betting segment. But he didn't get it. Yeah. He didn't get a single point. Uh, blew my mind when, when we heard that stat line on the broadcast and we started talking about it. I, I couldn't believe it. I would have bet a lot of money that he would have broken that record. But kudos to the Toronto Rock and thumbs down for the Toronto Rock at the same time. Uh, my thumbs up and thumbs down come from the same game also. Uh, thumbs up to the fans in Calgary. After what has been a tumultuous year with COVID regulations and only a limited number of fans, and then they couldn't eat or drink, and then everything that was going on, to put 16,000 fans mm-hmm. inside the Saddle Dome on a massive night for that organization and a huge game to get them a home floor game in the playoffs. It was so incredible to see. It's the biggest crowd I've seen since the 2019 finals. It's the biggest crowd in the NLL, NLL all season long. And it was just an incredible atmosphere and everything the NLL wishes to showcase their fans and their environments to be like. I, it was just awesome to be part of. They're rocking all night long. My thumbs down goes to the Mammoth who had a slow start and they fall from first place to third place. They lose out on the home playoff game. They almost came all the way back to tie that game, but they cannot afford to have another slow start as they'll take on the Roughnecks again in Colorado this weekend. I just don't know what it is about Colorado and Calgary. But the Roughnecks just seem to have the mammoth's number. We'll talk about it with Jamie Shuchuk later on. But going into the playoffs, Calgary has not lost a game to Colorado in the postseason since 2006. They are 10-1 and against the mammoth in the playoffs. It is a ridiculous anomaly of a stat. And if they have a slow start like they did on Saturday night, they will be in a world of trouble. So my thumbs up goes to the Calgary Roughnecks fan and filling the Rough House on a massively important game. Thumbs down to the Mammoth for not showing up on time and losing out on what could have been a massive home floor advantage had they have won that game. Crazy. All around crazy in the National Cross League in the final weekend. And we're heading in to the postseason, as we mentioned. When you look at these four matchups and you kind of said it, and I, I agree with you any of them can go either way but what's the one matchup that you really are struggling to figure out which way it's going to go well it, until you threw out that historical stat <laughs> i would say probably colorado calgary um, but with that being said i think pat coyle's in that room saying like listen guys like this is a different team. This is a different, you know, not many of you guys have been around for this. You know, a lot of you guys are younger guys. This is a different group. We're not that same Calgary roughneck team anymore. This is a new era. Um, so I guess that would be the one because honestly, like those two teams kind of have been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. I think Calgary has been more consistent down the road. The mammoth might have a higher ceiling when they play their best, uh, but we've seen them go up and down Um but I, man, I already said it. Like, there really is not a result that would absolutely shock me. Like, not at all. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert for Coast to Coast this week. 
my hot take was that, you know, my burning take was that I, we see both number one seeds go down. Um, that is extremely spicy. And, I love it, it. and you know what? It, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time, like it's our last episode. I wanted to throw a take out there. I'm not pulling a Stephen A. Smith and saying something that I don't believe in, but I do actually see a world where both those teams could lose. I also see uh, a world where they both, you know, beat the wheels off their opponents and get their seasons back on track and end up yeah. being two of the favorites to win the NL Cup. Yeah. So it, it is, but like yeah, just the, the the way we've seen the Firewolves play against the Bandits, they've taken them overtime. We've seen Philly already win in that building in overtime. They're a resilient group. Like you can't tell me that there's zero chance that won't happen. You don't have to be as big as an idiot like me and say it is going to happen, but <laughs> – I don't know. Well, Maybe when you, when you look at the way that Buffalo has been playing, they've lost three of their last four going into the postseason. Not exactly a hot streak, but like you said, maybe not having to play many games that are as of interest to them, having things already locked up. San Diego's only won one in their last seven or eight games. They're going the completely the wrong way, limping into the postseason. So when you look at Albany, they're playing good lacrosse. Philly's playing good lacrosse. And they're playing two teams that they have a, a real good sense about. So mm-hmm. it, it, I completely agree with you, If especially in a one-gamer. And we'll talk to Steve Brumell about it. Uh, the fact that these one-gamers are more scary than a two of three. Yeah. Because anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what makes the the this first round that much more exciting because – you have to play a fantastic 60 minutes of lacrosse. You can't have any mess-ups. You can't have any errors. You have to play a complete lacrosse game. And if not, all that hard work, you know, everything you did to get to this point will be for naught if you just lay an absolute egg. And that has got to be in the back of the mind of every team, whether you're the favorite or the underdog, the home team or the visitors. You lay an egg – your season's over just like that. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's also plays into that Albany Buffalo game. Like Albany's probably you know the the hey they got in. They've also been playing playoff lacrosse for the last three straight weeks. Like mm-hmm. they're already in. They have had their own um, you know win and you're in situation, win and do or die, whatever cliches you want. Yeah, they've to been up. playing playoff lacrosse for a few weeks. Yeah, and Buffalo's kind of been playing for nothing. And you can kind of tell that they've been playing for nothing because they haven't been that dynamic um, electric offense. But what we'll find out this weekend is the teams like Buffalo, the teams like San Diego, are they true championship contending teams? Because if they are, they're going to be able to just flip the switch and go and play meaningful lacrosse. Or, you know, or were these struggles kind of foreshadowing to seeing what maybe can come but again another cliche we have to wait and see teddy we just have to wait and see uh we talked about dane smith not setting the single season points record he did set the single season assist record with 94 ryan lee would have set it with his 85 but dane was just nine (laughs) assists better which is just crazy to think about um what were some of the other records uh Zach Courier set the single-season record for caused turnovers with 62. Best in Kyle Rubish's 61. Um, Reed Bowering set the rookie loose ball record. 
it was just an incredible season overall. And if you go back and look at some of the guys' lines and the fact that a guy like Tom Shriver only plays 16 games and puts up 47. (laughs) You look at Dane, six assists away from 100. Um, Was there one stat line from somebody throughout the season that maybe is more impressive or maybe just not getting the notoriety that it should? So I think we've kind of uh, alluded to the ones that are impressive or the most impressive, but one that's not getting a ton of notoriety. And I don't know if I actually have no idea if it's a record. I cannot say if it's a record. I don't know if it is, Um, but do yourself a favor, go to the stats page on it. Go to the drop down menu. Go to forwards. Oh, way up there. Okay. Yep. 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 Okay. You good there? All right. Mm-hmm. Still following me? Mm-hmm. Then click LB as in loose balls. Yep. Look at how many effing loose balls Jeff T has. <laughs> how many who has? Jeff T. 111 loose balls as a forward. He led the league yeah. in loose balls. And if you want to go back to all positions there, and click how many loose balls he had in comparison to the rest. Yeah, sure. You know what? He doesn't make that top page. But for a forward to rack up that many loosies as a rookie, and that kind of just goes to show you that, yes, Jeff T is an unbelievable playmaker, probably going to be one of the greatest playmakers the game has ever seen once all is said and done. Um, He is so calm, cool, and collected. But the things he does away from the ball when – the balls on the ground uh, or him forcing turnovers like that. A part of his game is so understated and mm. that kind of puts him in the upper echelon because you, you talk about some of the other best players like Lyle Thompson. Uh, I think it took a while for people to recognize how good he was at, at, you know, for checking and how good he yeah. was at sniffing out loose balls, but you can fill the net as much as you want. You can be a playmaker, um, but to separate separate yourself, you have to do those little things as well. And Jeff Teat is already doing that. And those type of things are usually things that elite players pick up later in their career. Yeah. Um, once they get their feet wet. Well, Jeff Teat took a couple of games to get his feet wet and he was cannonballing uh, into the pool that is the NLL. So I just wanted to shine some light there because that's something that just doesn't get talked about a lot with forwards, but you and I know how important extended possessions are. Um, and if you can have those guys picking up those loose balls, getting those extended possessions, or, you know, uh, there's a turnover on the turf and he's picking up a loose ball. And, uh, you know, it's so, so, so important. But when it's your best player doing it, that also motivates the rest of the guys on the floor to get their nose dirty. Because, you know, if your top guy's doing it, why can't the grinders be doing it? Why can't the secondary scorers do it? Why can't the defenders do it? So that's just one thing I noticed the other day. And I I really, really think we need to start putting a little more respect on that part of his game. Um, Okay. I will go sort of something similar. Um, Go to uh, the stats page. Okay. I'm there. Click on all positions. Click on assists. Okay. Okay. And go to roughly page five. Roughly page five. Okay. We're doing a real deep dive. Mm -hmm. Deep dive here. Deep dive here. I think I know where this go is going, but walk me through this. Okay, okay. so uh, 81st in the league on 17 point or 17 assists, Phil Caputo, Dean Farrell, 
Brian Cole, and Christian Del Bianco. <laughs> that is insane. Okay, there are roughly, call it 360-odd players who've played in the National Lacrosse League this year. Christian Del Bianco is tied for 81st in the league with assists in 17. More than Kyle Killen. More than a guy like Thomas Hogarth, Jake Fox, Jacob Rouet. Just a wild stat line for a goalie to put up those kind of assists. More than Stephen Keogh. More than Ian McKay, Josh Courier, Casey Jackson. Like, if your goalie is going to be top 10 in your team points solely based on assists, that's ridiculous. Absolutely nuts. And I think that is a kind of I would like to see where in the season those the game log uh, uh, where they came but it seems like once Delbianco started to play better and once he was making those saves getting the ball up and out Calgary started playing better because they were able to play that quick up and out style of lacrosse that has been so successful and when you have a guy in your crease that's essentially like a six defender and, and can make it rain like that, it just adds a complete different dynamic uh, to your transition game. And we know uh, how important that part of the game is becoming. Um, and for Calgary, man, like you've been you've been saying it for a while, like look out for this team. They're going to figure it out. They have figured it out. Now, you know, they have home f- – field in this game you know depending on what happens in the next game like if they can run through the west uh, if san diego drops out like and they can have home home field del bianco's playing great their offense is really figuring things out like this is a scary scary team and people forget yeah i know there's not all the same pieces as before they are the defending champs like defending and reigning yes yeah and and they know what it takes to win and that coaching staff knows what it takes to win. So they're a team that I know we'll get into it later in the show. Um, maybe not getting the respect. Oh, are they, they ever? Deserve. Um, but we'll they get are. to that a little bit later. I know. I wanted, almost went off on a tangent there, but we won't do that. <laughs> um, all right. Let, let's get into these four games. It all starts Friday night with a TSN game of the week. Halifax at Toronto. You will be there. Ashley Docking will be there. And our first guest in our Around the National Cross League playoff chat, John Abbott, will be there. He joins us right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by John Abbott, sometimes known as Hockey Abs, now more known as Lacrosse Abs. Buddy, how are you? I'm great, Teddy. Nice to be on with you today. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, as is the game Friday night. TSN Game of the Week to kick off the NLL postseason um, when you look at this game overall, what excites you about the matchup? Well, I like that it's been three different uh, stories each time they've met previously in the regular season. Uh, one, one, and one. A win for each team and, and a loss for each team and an overtime loss. So it's been, uh, it's been a crazy season series. It's been a tale of two seasons for both teams, really. Halifax had the hot start mm-hmm. and then have cooled off drastically heading in to the postseason, not the way they would have liked. And Toronto's gone the other way. They had a really, really slow start. And, uh, you know, speaking with The Rock 
at one point, they weren't so sure they were even going to be in the mix to play for the home floor, uh, which they obviously are going to enjoy heading into Friday night's game. So um, I, I like the fact that both these teams should be battle ready. Uh, both have similar components to make a head-to-head matchup uh, quite entertaining. And quite honestly, for the Thunderbirds, you know, they have to step up and prove that they're the real Halifax team that started the season and not the one that finished it. So the onus, I think, is a little bit more on Halifax than it might be on Toronto. All right, well, let's start with Toronto, the home team playing at First Ontario, their first year in Hamilton. Jamie Dowks raved about the crowds. You've seen it. I've seen it. It has really been an outstanding year for them that first year in Hamilton. But they are playing their best lacrosse right now. They're 10-2 and two in their last 12, the hottest team in the NLL. What's been the catalyst for them over the last couple of months, you think? Well, funny enough, Teddy, you, you talk to the team, as, as we always do before heading into the game of the week matchup, and you know they'll point to the opponent on Friday uh, as the overtime loss that they really felt, and, and I would agree with them in that sense, that uh, going back to the second meeting of the season, Halifax took the overtime win, Toronto the overtime loss. They felt the Rock did that that was a game they should have won. And uh, instead of letting it derail their season and, you know, maybe look at it as a negative, they looked at it as a positive in a sense that they felt they were right there with one of the hottest teams in the league. You, you think of Buffalo being, you know, probably second to Buffalo at that time, or excuse me, Halifax second to Buffalo at that time, uh, not giving up much in the standings. And, uh, you know, Toronto really dug in from that time on. And you can see their trajectory following that game. It has been, you know, full on upwards. So it's a group that really believe in themselves. Confidence is running sky high right now, uh, winning five in a row, even the hard way in the final game of the season against uh, the Bandits in a comeback win. And uh, much like Halifax, they play their best uh, lacrosse on their home floor. So that's been established, even though, as you said, leading in, Teddy, um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a new look for the Rock playing in Hamilton, but uh, they are a very tough out on that home floor. And so they use that overtime loss against Halifax to springboard where, they, where they've gotten to now. And they feel like this is a group that's battled through adversity, know how to win, and they're prepared to, uh, to do that in a winner-take-all scenario. As you mentioned, Halifax took two of three from Toronto, including a couple of games in First, first Ontario what lessons do you think they take from those two wins that they can use their advantage uh, this weekend? It, it, they're a hard team to figure out a little bit. If you look at the Thunderbirds, it's not all tied into the trade deadline, but man, a big change uh, that was somewhat unexpected. Bringing in the veteran Sean Evans, you'd think things would only get better there because of their uh, depth in their attack. And it just has not come together really for them since making that move, which uh, you can't fault anybody. You know, that's a club that decided we have a chance to add another weapon, try and go all in, so to speak. And so they go out and do it. And that, you know, for a team that wants to win it all, you know, certainly you can understand the perspective. It hasn't really gelled. It hasn't meshed since then. So for Halifax, they need to find a way to flush the second half of the season. Easier said than done. And yet maybe in a one-game scenario, they can harness that mentality that we've been here before, we've won before, we can beat anybody in the conference. Maybe they believe anybody in the league, but certainly in the head-to-head with Toronto, they've done it before. So it's almost getting out of their own way, finding a way to revitalize that offense. I mean, uh, certainly the right side of the balls should be all world uh, with their options, and Mm -hmm. they need goaltending from Warren Hill um, to be magic again especially if you're countering nick rose at the other end so sounds like a lot of ass but if you believe it is in this team in the beginning of the season 
you might believe that they have it for that one game to start, you know, what could be a run. Let's go there to the goaltending. And that probably will be the difference in this game. Rose, arguably the best in the NLL up there with Matt Vince. You know, Warren Hill has struggled and been inconsistent. They've played Aaron Bold the last few weekends in and out. How good does Warren Hill have to be to go one-on-one essentially with Nick Rose in this game and a goaltender's duel? Right now has to be MVP caliber, to be honest with you. Like Nick Rose has just been spectacular. And you move position by position for the Toronto Rock, and there's similarities right across the floor to the Halifax team. And you can make arguments on on the offensive, defensive side of the ball that – Okay, at times maybe these are two teams that could come out in a in the wash, but I think the biggest edge, if you break it down positionally, goes to Toronto with with the goaltending. Mm-hmm. And for Warren Hill, you know, some believe um, much like the team, it's just been a bit of a bumpy road, ups and downs, and it's a lot of a lot to ask. Maybe uh, through the course of a whole season, to rely on a, a, a goaltender. Some believe he's banged up, uh, so I guess we'll really find out on Friday what the story is, but it has to be an MVP caliber type of performance. And he's shown in the past he's capable of that, but I mean, there's not too many not too many teams that are having an easy time with Nick Rose, let alone goalies opposing him these days. Yeah, we, we haven't seen the same Warren Hill since he's come off the COVID list, and if that's lingering effects or not, who knows, but definitely hasn't been the same goaltender. Uh, we talk about the environment in Hamilton, and it should be a very pro-rock crowd. But there will be a few spatterings of Halifax Thunderbirds fans in First Ontario. So how does Halifax bring their fans to life? Well, the last time these two teams met, I don't think I've seen a better second half in the league, at least from the games I've watched. You know, there'd be some close, but Toronto, they outscored them 7-1. to one. Like, mm-hmm. allowing that team who needs to come back in the game one goal in two quarters seems impossible. And uh, it didn't look for a second like... Toronto took their foot off the gas. Uh, Basically, they just, the Rock owned them in that Mm -hmm. game. So uh, for for Halifax, they might have the edge to begin with in in the game. You know, Toronto has been notorious for some slow starts, even to the last game against Buffalo. So that would be where the door cracks open immediately, I think. So for the Thunderbirds to try and take advantage of drumming up some offense early would be uh, what the doctor ordered for them. But, you know, I really do think it comes down to Probably that second half game, because if both these teams are on, it's going to be a, a dogfight right to the end. And, and for Halifax, it's it's about uh, taking advantage of, of those opportunities potentially that come their way. I mean, the power play, they've struggled all year. Um, so it might be too much to ask for that to be a difference maker. But I think it's it's that type of thing that could be, might have to be, when you come down to it against Toronto, who just are fi- firing on all cylinders. When you look at both offenses, obviously Schreiber and Hellier and Craig and Jameson and Shanks and Peterson all stand up. But whose offensive depth will play a bigger role in victory? Wow, that's a great, great question. I don't know if I have the answer for that one, Teddy, because <laughs> uh, you're right. Like the, the stalwarts on both sides are so deep. Uh, we had the chance to catch up with Tommy Schreiber before uh, the game on Friday. And, you know, here's a guy of 47 goals in his back pocket here and, and he's talking about how dynamic the offense is around him and how it uh, really doesn't matter who's carrying the hot stick uh, you can see that in evidence of Dan Craig this year and the type of breakout season that he's had so uh, certainly Toronto can make you pay maybe a little bit more than Halifax can but 
Hey, Shanks has had uh, some good games against the Rock. They're going to need to have him be uh, a real threat to move uh, to to try and beat Nick Rose. Uh, Peterson's going to have to be a threat as well uh, because we all know Jameson's the ultimate distributor. He's he's the the guy that stirs the drink for the Thunderbirds. But yeah, you need those righties, particularly Shanks and, and Peterson, to be on their game to allow Halifax to have some options because. Mm-hmm. Just of late, again, I'm going based off of what I've seen in the second half and running up into this game. You know, it doesn't seem like the Thunderbirds have been as dynamic. Doesn't mean they can't be, but it, it seems like you might be able to game plan for them a little bit better. So they'll need to surprise Toronto with uh, maybe that offense coming to life a little bit. One of the things people will most closely be watching, I think, will be the battle between um, Jake Withers and TD Ireland. Uh, at the faceoff dot, a marquee matchup as always. Um, with every possession being vital, what role do you see these guys playing and the other grinders on those two teams playing? Yeah, that's a. I love watching that battle, and uh, for a fourth time this year, we get to take it uh, to a different level. And uh, you know, as I've been educated along the way here, you know, that's an old one coming back from the NCAA ranks and different uh, different ranks along the way. So they're familiar and Withers has the upper hand right now. But for Halifax, I think that's absolutely crucial. I mean, uh, I'm selling them hard as an underdog here, which sounds strange given the way that they've played at times this season. But I think that's how you have to approach it right now is that Halifax needs help any way they can get it to try and Uh, you know, show that they're the Thunderbirds team that can compete in transition, uh, possession by possession against the Rock. And it's so it starts with having the ball first, quite frankly. So uh, that's going to be a grudge match all night that I can't wait to sit back and uh, settle into. And, and, you know, these Ds are pretty fun to watch too. Uh, You know, (laughs) my old buddy Pat Gregoire is going to love that because, uh, you know, he's, (laughs) he's a specialist on that side of the ball himself. But when you think of uh, Hasek being back there and and you think of uh, what the snoo and uh, most recently Latrell, uh, you you think of Cree and what the, the type of year he's had. So, I mean, I hope both these teams, in almost every sense are at the top of their game like they should be because it could just be a wild, wild head-to-head if that's the case. But uh, right now you certainly do have to give Toronto the edge, I believe, in uh, most of those categories. When we talked to Matt Sawyer earlier this week, um, you know, going into this game, I didn't bring this up, but I feel like I should have. Do you think it's a little bit of a concern? And I know there shouldn't be any concern in that locker room, but when you look at Toronto, they've been – almost perfect for about you know half the season now and they're going into a game where uh, you know 10 minutes off could absolutely end your season in that one and done situation do you feel like they should be worried that they haven't had a blip on the radar in a long time or is it just you know they're playing the best lacrosse at the best time and they hope just to continue to roll into the postseason i think if you had it's a great point and that just makes the pressure of a winner-take-all scenario even uh, more so. Uh, I, I think you'd choose to enter the way Toronto did as opposed to the way Halifax is right now mm-hmm. if, you, if you had the option. And I'm sure there was a point in time where the Thunderbirds thought, okay, you know, Buffalo is the team we need to beat here when we're all said and done. And this is going to be, you know, we're going to finish first or second. You know, there's no questions asked. Well, Different lot in light all of, uh, life all of a sudden for the Thunderbirds. And 
you don't discount what adversity does for a team. Uh, you know, that's a proud group in there. They have a lot to prove just in, in the playoff sense of their season. So is that going to prop them up? Yeah, I, I expect it will. I expect it will bring the best out of the Thunderbirds. But I think you still, um, if you're Toronto, you've kind of found a way to win different ways in the season. You've found a way to recognize uh, the Rock have what the way they need to play and, and what's gotten them in trouble. So I don't think there's any secrets from how Toronto is approaching this one. I, and, and I think it's a good thing that they're playing their best lacrosse because it should bring out the best in Halifax, who probably have a little bit more work to do. It is the lone TSN game of the week. It is the Halifax Thunderbirds and the Toronto Rock Hockey Abs. John Abbott, we appreciate it. Be you, Patty, and Ashley Dawkins on the call. Appreciate it, man. Oh, man, so good to be on with both of you. And, uh, hey, let's go lacrosse abs, all right? I, I think I, I think the way you put that was at the beginning was great. So uh, I, I'm good with that one. Perfect. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, boys. The second game of the playoffs goes in Calgary. A rematch of the final weekend of the regular season. To talk about it, Jamie Shuchuk, color commentator for the Mammoth. Shoe Bomber, how are you? Doing great, Teddy. Thanks for having me. Hope uh, you're doing well too, my friend. You. Yeah, appreciate you ha- hopping on. It's been a while since we've caught up. We're not calling games together, so I don't get to see you anymore, which is a little unfortunate. But um, let, let's talk about the obvious elephant in the room here. Uh, you've been in the trenches in these battles between the Mammoth and the Roughnecks in the playoffs. And Calgary has an incredible 10-1 record against the Mammoth in the postseason. What voodoo curse... Does Kurt Miloski and the Calgary Roughnecks have over the Colorado Mammoth? <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up that I was involved <laughs> in those. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. You know, Teddy, you bring up that 10 and one record. Um, you know, the, the one win that the Mammoth have is the, the year that they won the championship mm-hmm. um, in 2006 there, the Western final, I believe with Brian Langtree scored a electrifying uh, overtime winner. Had a good Selly, I'm sure, too, knowing him. But, uh, yeah, I, I just look back the years I was there. You know, we were prepared. We had great teams. And, you know, for whatever reason, just, uh, you know, they're they're one of those teams that are built for the playoffs. And you mentioned head coach Kurt Miloski. Uh, I think that's the X factor right there. You look at almost every year, Calgary, Calgary starts off kind of slow. Um, and it takes them a little bit to figure out their identity. But their identity is – is their coach, um, I think. And just the way that he, uh, you know, he has our superstars. We saw last week, Curtis Dixon, um, do Curtis Dixon superstar-like things. And, um, you know, that was the X factor last week in my mind. So, you know, I think uh, I think it's just one of those deals, being prepared. And I don't know what the voodoo curse is. It's, uh, you know, 10 and one, you think odds are in Calgary's favor, but you can't count the Colorado Mammoth out. Um, they've had a tremendous season and, you know, a lot of a lot of ups and downs, but uh, definitely some some good positives going into the uh, into this weekend. Uh, with, with King and Dixon and Pace, they're one of the best trios in the National Lacrosse League uh, at any point in the season. What what makes them so dangerous? Uh, just knowing each of those, you know, you, you see those guys play. I know a couple of them personally. Tyler Pace, I spent a lot of time with when he was down here. You know, the Denver coach with them a lot. I know him as a person, and the guy's just a He's a competitor and he, he wants to win. He loves playing at the highest level. He, you know, saw him last week too, put, put up some timely goals. And, uh, you know, Curtis Dixon, we all obviously know what he can bring to the table. Um, 
going back, I remember him playing for Poco in my Burnaby junior days and, you know, they weren't very good, but we were like, who is this kid? And he just would take on, even back then would take on two, three guys and uh, the nets somehow. Um, and he's still doing that. And uh, you know, so, you know, and then Jesse King, obviously, obviously you got to talk about him, Teddy being a Victoria guy, but I've been a fan of this kid his entire career and just knowing uh, it's great to see him this year. Um, get the ability to step up in the absence of Dane Doby on that left side. So, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, I think, uh, embraced that role, um, flourishing in the offense, as, as you like to say. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he put up put up 66 assists, which was a team high this year. And, and that's, uh, you know, goes to show how valuable he is. But I remember talking to Kurt Miloski at the beginning of the year when they were coming here to play Cal- uh, Colorado. And he, he talked about Jesse King wanting him to be more selfish and, and really take on more of that role where, uh, you know, more of the X factor and, and contributing all the goals, and w- which he's doing. Um, so, yeah, those t- those three on the offensive end are absolute beasts. And then you can't, you know, Josh Curry, or, uh, sorry, Zach Curry had a, had a tremendous season too in the back end. So there's just so much firepower um, with this Calgary Roughnecks roster. Well, you mentioned it, like there is so much firepower up front, but then you look at that back door, so much speed, Del Bianco throwing dimes from the crease. How do you game plan – against a lethal transition like that yeah courier also led the league and caused turnovers too and you know he's <laughs> yeah. considered a transition guy you know he's up against the likes of rubish and corbeal and hosick and you know he's the one leading so it just goes to show you i don't think this guy comes off the floor um <laughs> and and you know knowing the coach that that kurt is you know he's he's uh he gives these guys a green light to just be themselves and uh you know at this time of the year you can see um you know, in the back end, we talk about Delby Anko being able to throw the ball. Dylan Ward, same thing. So going to be a goaltender battle. Uh, you know, you have Capito, obviously, on the other end. And um, But, uh, you know, how do you stop it? I, You know, I think the whole cliche is, you know, the offensive guy's got to get back. And, um, you know, I, as an offensive guy, I, I think, uh, you know, seeing the Colorado offense this year, they are young and very athletic. And I think they do take a lot of pride in the bench and getting the defense on. So, the same old cliche stuff. It's playoff. It's gonna. It's playoffs. It's gonna be tight, and all those little details are are gonna gonna add up uh, throughout the course of the game. The status of Tyson Gibson is still unknown. Um, how much of a loss is he since he started to find a rhythm in that offense? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, a couple guys have been in and out of the lineup. Mentioning you know Dylan Kinnear, uh, McIntyre got some time last week there, and you know so. It's interesting to see who the Mammoth have been plugging and playing um, in this roster. Uh, we saw Timmy Edwards go down and activate Woodall, and then they're going with more D guys and less O guys. So just, you know, those little strategies are all really intriguing. Um, you know, but going into the playoff game here, I think, uh, you know, missing Gibson, you know, obviously a huge, huge hype about that trade. Um, but it just goes to show you the depth that they have without him. Um, I think I think the Mammoth coaching staff is uh, seems very confident with whoever they put in there. They're going to produce, and they have a lot of leadership on that front end. So, you know, I, I don't think it, you know. Obviously, they're going to miss a, a guy like the caliber and the skill that Tyson Gibson brings, all the size and stuff. But um, you know, tough not to have him in the lineup. But I think the Mammoth are going to be just fine without him. You've been around uh, this team for a a while now, and you've seen a lot of this guy and Ryan Lee, and I don't want to call it a breakout season because he's already broke out, but he went from a star to a superstar 
uh, setting mammoth records with 85 assists and 119 points. How impressed were with you for him to be able to elevate his game to that next level? Uh, it's it's been incredible. Yeah, you know, I was there the year that uh, John Grant Jr. Uh, broke the single season record. I'm pretty sure for the NLL that year. I know it's crushed since then, but I remember watching Junior go through it and. You know, he had a he had a tremendous year that year, uh, dishing the ball out, obviously scoring the goals he does and watching him hobble, hobble around in practice and do that. And, you know, and then you see this guy, Ryan Lee, come come out of nowhere, really, in my mind, as far as, you know, he's been that consistent, steady player, like you mentioned, but he's definitely taken his game to another level. Um, we've seen a lot of insane comebacks this year by Colorado, um, specifically Ryan Lee in, in Vancouver earlier in the season when the man came back in that second half and, and he was the one distributing the ball. We see his heavy shot from the outside. Ryan Ryan has become a thing uh, this year with his creased eyes. And he's just, he's so fun to watch, but seeing his IQ really evolve uh, over the past couple seasons where when he does get the ball, you can just see how calm he is with it. He knows where his guys are. And I think that's a, a big credit to the coaching staff too. Um, with, with Bishop coming in here his first year as a as a, a rookie offensive coordinator, the NLLs can't be an easy task, um, and he's done really well with that. So it's great to see Ryan Lee, and you know you can clearly see I got to know him a little bit this year, kind of off the floor, and he's he's a great kid. He's got his stuff together. Um, you know he, he works hard on and off the floor. So you know it's been great to see someone like that really step up and and say, hey, I'm the guy uh, for this offense. Cause I think the Mammoth have been really missing that the last. Uh, you know, five or six years. We talked about the game last weekend. It, it didn't go off to a hot start for the Mammoth. They end up being down 12-5 at one point, but they get all the way back to within one. Um, obviously, getting a better start is integral, but does it worry you that they won't be able to start on time? Uh, no, I think, you know, again, the, the whole cliches of, you know, you you watch the game film, you know, you, you have a few, and that's the thing too, it's a Friday game, so... You know, the guys are going to be flying out tomorrow on Thursday. So, you know, a little little kind of, a, you know, it's not a, your typical Saturday game. So I, I think that may be a factor. But, you know, given the fact that they lost, I think the Mammoth are, you know, they're, they're mature enough. You know, Pat Coyle is going to have those guys ready to go. I think the positives, you know, the comeback in that fourth quarter um, definitely showed some life there that they, that they can hang. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, the key is, I mean, and that's the NLL, guys. Like, it's, it's Curtis Dixon is not missing like he just kept shooting and not missing like it against Dylan Ward you know yeah. so it's it's just one of those deals we saw it with uh with uh, Eli McLaughlin um you know against Vancouver he has four goals in the fourth quarter to tie it up and then he scores the OT winner so there, there's so much firepower on both of these teams where you know again back to the cliche playoffs it's going to be tight focus on your job do all the little things um you know I think that's really all Colorado Mammoth, um, you know, I think that's the message that they're going to have to have because they have all the tools. Um, it's just a matter of putting that that full 60 minutes together. Uh, Del Bianco, Wardo, uh, maybe the best goalie matchup in the first round. Two very different styles uh, that they play, but both these, these guys can steal the show. How excited are you for this battle within the battle? It, it, it's awesome. I love uh, love watching these two go head to head. Uh, you know, Wardo obviously has a few years on on Del Bianco there, but just I've always said this about Del Bianco watching him. I think he was 19 when he came to the league and was still in juniors, winning Minto Cups and all that. And 
you know, you could tell this guy was going to be special. Um, and now that he's got that championship under his belt, um, you know, you saw in 2019 when they, when they won there and, and the love that Dane Doby had for his goaltender, you can tell how much value he's almost like a pass of the torch looking back now where, uh, you know, Dane Doby's obviously left Calgary for San Diego, but, you know, I, I think that that was a huge step for Del Bianco to just have that confidence to say, Hey, I'm, I'm here and, and I'm not going anywhere. And Dylan Ward obviously has so much to prove his numbers again, were phenomenal this season. Both of these goaltenders started every game for their teams. Um, they're, lethal in the transition game the way they can pass the ball uh yeah it's it's exciting for sure and you know, i think uh, again going these guys are going to be these guys are going to do their job i think it's the offenses that uh you know are going to be the factor of this game will the demons be exercised will the the dragon be slay whatever way you want to put it can colorado finally end that nine game lose losing streak and, and get a win here Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy to think, yeah, 2006, not good at math here, four, four, uh, 16 years. Neither are we. We're not going to die. You know, 16 years ago. So you got to think about that. And, you know, obviously it's clear that the mammoth, you know, from their point of view, they've struggled in the playoffs um, since 2006. And uh, Calgary's always there. They're always in the mix. And, you know, they've had the same coach. Um, you know, basically Kurt Miloski retired and took over the reins there and was a coach immediately. So um, not a lot has changed there from, you know, just uh, the mentality. But, yeah, these guys hate each other. There's no doubt. Uh, Calgary's fans were awesome last weekend. And, you know, you would expect with the, you know, what the Flames are doing, I, I, I believe they play tomorrow night and then you get the Roughnecks mammoth. You know, there, there's nothing better. So I think that, uh, you know, me, I know as a player, I'd be fired up to play wherever in the playoffs and Calgary even more so. So I think these guys know what's on the table. Some of these guys have played in those games where they lost to Calgary. So, again, there's that veteran leadership there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be exciting, boys. I can't wait to watch. Shuey, appreciate you as always. Uh, best of luck to our Oilers, and uh, we'll catch up soon, man. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Joined now by Steve Bermel, often color commentator for the Buffalo Bandits. Berm, Daddy, how are you, brother? Doing well, Teddy. Thanks for having me. Um, you asked me how I'm doing, and the first thing out of my mouth is how excited I am for Saturday. Yeah, Saturday is going to be a big night, obviously. Albany coming down to take the number one seed, Buffalo Bandits. Buffalo won both games in the regular season, 13-8 and 12-11 in overtime. But what positives can the Firewolves take from those two losses? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is that first game. It was the weird game where every goal was scored in the same net. Remember right. that only one, goal saw, only one goal saw the, the, the ball go in. And Albany put together a 7-0 run in the third quarter. Now, unfortunately for the Firewolves, the Bandits put together a 7-0 run in the fourth quarter. But ultimately, Albany has been able to go on some runs. And we know lacrosse is a game of runs. And if I remember correctly, didn't Albany have a 10-goal run against New York last week? Like, mm -hmm. Albany's offense has the ability to absolutely go on a tear and compared to Buffalo, they struggled to do that on Saturday. They couldn't put a run together against Toronto after the second quarter. And if Albany's offense gets hot, gets rolling, it seems like as a team, Albany has gotten better as the season went on. And full credit to them for earning that fourth spot in the East. Um, maybe going the other direction, Buffalo lost three of their last four. And after being so dominant through the majority of the season, what happened in that last month? I don't know. It felt like they struggled to play a complete game. I thought like the middle of the season was the time that they were 
playing their best offense. The defense was playing fast and, and taking away time and space. And of course, Matt Vince playing well. And it, it feels like in each of those games, other than maybe the Colorado game where they had to be exhausted four games in eight days and over four different time zones or something, um, it feels like they have been unable to put together a 60 minute game. And that was evidenced by this game against Toronto. You know, a bunch of people asked me what happened. I'm like, well, it's almost like Buffalo took the fourth quarter off. Like they, they were in the lead at the half and Toronto kind of started to put a run together and wake up offensively. And it felt like Buffalo kind of took the fourth quarter off and really only had one good quarter on offense. And that was the second quarter. I hope for the bandit's sake that, that it's an instance of them kind of having things locked up already. And there'll be this urgency to play a full 60 minute game on Saturday because Albany will make you pay if you don't. Does it concern you that Dane was held without a point? No, I, I am uh, fully on board with the narrative that Nick Rose had a really good game. Um, Dane Smith had 11 shots on goal, and they were from the areas that he normally scores from. And and Rosie just stepped up. And it wasn't a matter of Dane not being a part of the offense at all. He was moving the ball well. He was taking good shots. It wasn't even like he was missing the net a lot. 11 shots on goal is an impressive day. Uh, just nothing would fall. And it kind of felt that way. Uh, Rosie was outstanding in the first quarter. And uh, – really good in the third and fourth quarters as well. So I think it was an instance of Buffalo's offense as a whole kind of going to sleep, but also Nick Rose, I thought maybe his best game of the year. I think he put up an 86 save percentage, which is just bananas against any offense, let alone the bandits offense. So as far as Dane is concerned, it's not a a concern about him personally, as much as if the offense doesn't fall asleep for 15 to 30 minutes in a game. Well, let's talk about that offense. They may have one of the deepest offense in the playoffs, and that depth will need to play a huge role as Dane and Josh are going to see a lot of extra attention. What should we expect from guys like Buchanan and Dehoga and Fields and Fraser in a one-game playoff where everybody's got to be at their best? Yeah, and the first name that came to mind when you were talking about it was actually Kyle Buchanan, who put up a hat trick on Saturday. He's the guy usually going into the boards and scooping a loose ball. But uh, the the thing that, that Buffalo has is they almost have not only six or seven guys that can score the ball, but they do it differently. Like Chase Frazier has the athleticism and can score on a dunk from behind the net. He also might have the hardest shot on the team. Dehoka plays bully ball. He will mm-hmm. go into the boards, scoop up a loose ball, back down two defenders, turn and crease dive for a goal. Then you have Dane Smith with Dane and Josh, both with these jab steps, the ability to kind of make a guy miss. And even though there's a defender between them and the net, it doesn't stop them from getting to the net. So I think what it's going to take, especially with Dougie Jameson, is they have to kind of find out what's going to work. I feel like against Warren Hill, they kind of realized in the the first game of the back-to-backs against Halifax that they could score from outside. And when they discovered that, they started to shoot more from outside and they found success. So it's going to, it might be a day where, it's Chase Fraser from outside, or it's, it's working the ball from behind the net and making Jamison kind of swing his head around a little bit. So they're, they're so dynamic and not just having seven guys that can score. They have six, seven guys that score differently. So they're going to have to find out what the formula is on Saturday. Maybe they already have it. They have scored 13 goals, I believe, in both games against Albany. So maybe they do have it. Jamison's a great goaltender. can absolutely steal the game. But this offense, you would think, has to be able to figure it out better than they did at least last Saturday. Uh, you mentioned Dougie. Uh, he's had a bit of a down year coming off a goalie of the year season in the 2022 shortened year, but he can definitely steal a game for you. And going head to head with Matt Vince won't be easy, but a perfect chance for him to step up and, and rise to the occasion. He's had definitely strong stretches of play. Like we mentioned that 7-0 quarter that Albany put up in Buffalo. Jameson was a big part of that. And we've seen him turn it on for, for a whole block, you know, time frame within a game. And, 
you, you mentioned it, he can steal a game. And just because he's not having a similar year to where he's, you know, the goaltender of the year, it doesn't mean that he's still not one, a great goaltender and two, that he won't be a factor on Saturday because he absolutely will. The entire league respects him. Not that every goalie in the NLL isn't respected, but when you mentioned Doug Jamison, there's a respect put on his name by offenses because he's that good. He's, he's super athletic for being as big as he is. The way he takes away the bottom part of the net is unbelievable. His ability to get down and take away the bottom part of the net. I don't really think he has any weaknesses. So ultimately, you know, you have to respect that team. You have to respect Doug Jamison. And if you're a Bandits fan, you have to be worried that he could steal this game on Saturday, as is the risk of a one-game playoff. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've said so many times as a guy that works around the Bandits, if they get through this one game, I'm a lot more confident in their path to the championship because I think they're a really good team that will, will be able to beat teams two out of three. They don't have that luxury this weekend. Neither yeah. team does, right? Neither yeah. team has that luxury on Saturday. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, the one game just throws a wrench into everything. You have a bad quarter, a bad five-minute spell late. Anything can go wrong. Uh, Joey Reza-Terrence has made an incredible case for himself to be the MVP of the National Lacrosse League, taking over the reins in Albany. What makes him so dangerous? Uh, he, I feel like he's like the definition of like a silent assassin. Like for when you were to talk about even before this season, if you were to rip off, you know, the top players in the NLL, I'm not sure how many guys get listed off, if nothing else, for name recognition before Joey Rez. And Joe is, Joey is unbelievable. We saw it in Buffalo. We saw it in Rochester. He is unbelievable. I don't know if anybody has a, like a more ridiculous scoring touch than him. His crease dives, his ability to beat goaltenders. I mean, what did he have? Five and ten or five and five for ten on Saturday. And and he is he's doing it all different ways. And it's not even like the ball goes through him all the time. I am just blown away by his skill set and his package. And the other thing to say is he has almost always had success against Buffalo this year. He's actually had more of a down year in the two games. He still throws up on the score sheet, but I remember in Rochester, he scored the overtime winner for Rochester in the 10 minute mini game. When that didn't differentiate, when they went to overtime in the mini game, I think it was Joey Resseteritz that scored. He has had Buffalo's number and he's had the league's number this year. What an outstanding year for Joey Resseteritz. And I'm actually looking forward to watching him play on Saturday. How could you not? Uh, how has the addition of Max Adler affected the Buffalo Bandits? You know, he, he's provided them with a bit of a different dimension. Uh, but they need do they need him to be more of just a draw guy? Well, when they first brought him in, I asked what the plan was. Because a lot of times, you know, teams in the NLL don't want the face-off get-off. They want a guy. And, and Steve Dietrich was like, nope, get the draw and get off. And when he was training with Noseworthy, Noseworthy was literally showing him the spot on the floor that he needed to get to to allow another player come off. He's like, you got to sprint right here. And as soon as you're here, we can get another player on the floor. So that, that is the role that they had defined for him, at least early in his time. Um, he certainly has found some success in the spot for sure. He's, you know, he's had a couple of good weeks here, including last week against Toronto. But I love that they let him take the penalty shot and Roger yeah. let him get a goal. There's times he does get trapped out there defensively and they do work with him on defensive sets. But I think that for a team that didn't have a lot of holes, face-offs hurt them. There was the one week that they won one draw out of 27 yeah. or something like that. And then of course they go out and address the face-off position. So it was a matter, it was a, a matter of a team that didn't have any glaring holes, but they saw this as a spot where maybe they could improve. And he certainly has done that for them. The other part of it is he is part of the group. Like he hangs out with Dane and he stayed with Chris Cruce last week. And like they, they have brought him in as part of the family that is the Bandits. You know, he's not just the, out, the outsider face-off guy. He's a part of the team and they, they love having him. Uh, 
Uh, last one for you, Berm Daddy. Uh, can Buffalo play a disciplined game and have success, or does JT let loose the reins and unleash the hounds? Well, the the penalty kill on Saturday was absolutely outstanding, including killing off uh, the entirety of a two man advantage for two minutes. So it's one of those things we always used to hear, like with Darius, and it might be similar. If it's not a bad penalty, take it, because we trust that Vino can kill it. We trust that the defense can kill it. So they're going to play with that edge. Of course, you don't want to you don't want to get foolish. You don't want to take an extra two chirping the ref to the box. But ultimately, with the physicality they play with on defense, with the penalty kill that they have, they are never afraid to take penalties. And I don't think they can get away from their game just because it's a playoff game. Their special teams are outstanding on both sides of the ball. I, I don't think that they're maybe disciplined they might not be that disciplined of a team but that's okay they're, they they never have been and they're 14 and 4 because their special teams are so good so we'll see what they bring on saturday but i don't expect them to play any more disciplined or a different style of game because it's a playoff game steve ramel appreciate your time my man thanks teddy the final game of the first round philadelphia the wild card taking on the number one seed in the west san diego seals talk about it with us Cooper Perkins of the Seals broadcast. Cooper, how are you, man? I am absolutely fantastic, Teddy. How are you? Uh, we are great. Pat's great. You're great. And this will be a great game. Um, but let's get right into it. The Seals limped into the number one seed, having lost six of their last seven. They'll host their second playoff game in franchise history. But what the heck happened to a team that was once nine and two? You know, I, I, I think we spent a lot of time focused on the wrong part of the team. It looked like the offense had kind of dried up and, and it was a question of what's going on. You got all these weapons, but not enough goals to show for it. But when you look at the, the breakdown and kind of how it all fell apart, it really is a defensive issue, at least mm. in my opinion, and the numbers kind of back that up. You know, the, the first 11 games of the year, they were nine and two and a goals against average of eight and a half. And then down the stretch, those last seven, you go one and six and have a goals against over 12 and a half. So what does that look like? Is, is it a little bit of fatigue maybe on the defensive front? Is it between the pipes? It, you know, it's hard to say. And I, I think with losing streaks, we all run into this watching them happen that it seems like with each subsequent loss, an additional one becomes more likely because there's just that weird, you know, juju of the monkey on your back gets heavier and heavier. So I, I think everyone in San Diego is pretty hopeful that getting that, that big win out of the way against Vancouver will, will kind of wipe the slate clean. But I think if you look at the numbers, the defense has been a pretty concerning facet of the team. And you, know, you hold Vancouver to, to nine in that win, so maybe that's a good sign of things to come. But it's still definitely warranting of quite a bit of concern. Frank Chirinato hasn't looked like himself lately, and that's got to be a bit of a concern for Seals fans. So rekindle their hope in their number one goaltender and tell me why you think he'll be at his best on Saturday night. Well, he's always better at home. We know that. Uh, the numbers back that up. And also, you know, he played fairly well the one time they saw Philadelphia. And I think if you're going to put together like a best-case scenario for you know the Seals fans out there, Philly's a team that likes to rely on the outside shot a lot. If that shot's going in, they score a lot of goals. But Frankie's also a goaltender that's most well-equipped for that outside shot. You know, you don't want to have him moving a whole lot in front of the cage from pipe to pipe. You'd rather have him being able to step out and play his angles on that long stuff. So if it's, you know, uh, a night where he's seeing the ball well and, and goaltenders always tend to have those once every couple times out, then there's a real chance that he's going to be able to make uh, quite a few saves against a team that'll, you know, sit back there and let it rip on him. 
The wild card wings can't be taken lightly. As you know, firsthand, they already beat the seals in that building in overtime. Um, but they're a team that kind of leaves you wanting more. I feel like we still haven't seen the best of the wings. Um, with that being said though, San Diego finished their season with a win. How much confidence do you think they have going into this game against uh, an Eastern conference opponent who they've already lost to though? You know, I, I think that if you're picking out of the grab bag of possibilities, you're probably happier to see Philadelphia than Calgary right now. I mean, Obviously, Calgary had that weird loss to Rochester, but I think it'd be a hard case to make that they're not playing the best ball out West. So, you know, either you're playing Calgary or you're playing Philadelphia, who, as you said, leaves something to be desired at times. And I think as all competitors, they're going to be excited to have a second crack. You know, it was such a competitive, fun, close games. Both teams went on huge runs in the first half. And it came down to an overtime goal, just like it seems like every Philly win does. And you know, if you're going to pick, we we're talking about this in our production meeting this morning for the broadcast. If you're going to pick a team that embodies the wild card spirit more than any, you'd have to choose Philadelphia. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get when it comes down to crunch time. They're they're lethal. So I, I think it's going to be a really fun one. But if you're San Diego, you like the matchup better than Calgary. You probably like it a little bit better than Albany. You know, there's not that Joe Rez guy that could potentially ruin the game for you. I mean, take nothing from Kevin Crowley and Corey Small and not Zach Higgins between the pipes because he's been playing out of his mind the last four games. But just top to bottom, I think you probably like that matchup just a little bit better because there aren't as many unknowns that you have to worry about in terms of you know guys busting up a game plan and blowing things up for you. Well, there is a long trip out west for the Wings, which obviously didn't affect them in that overtime loss, but... How important do you think it is for San Diego to start hot and continue hot through the rest of the four quarters? You know, the numbers might not agree with me, but I tend to think that fast starts are pretty important for them, especially given like the mental headspace of where the team's at right now. Things could be so fragile when you've lost six out of seven games. So to start off slow is really calling upon a cachet of, you know, reserves of an energy and confidence that might not be there at this point you know that first matchup between the two you know first quarter was all san diego second quarter was all philadelphia i think they'll want to avoid you know a repeat of that but being able to start fast and get a few in and more importantly have frankie make a few saves early i think is mm -hmm. going to be huge and you know paul day has this funny way with his team of weathering storms and doing so methodically we saw it last week with that five nothing run that was spread over like 26 minutes of game time yeah i don't think at any point this philadelphia team's going to go away so if you're san diego you'd rather be playing in front than you would from behind for sure obviously a hot start and keeping momentum will be difficult with the presence of trevor baptiste uh he's one of the best in the world at the dot how does san diego game plan for him you know, I, I think we'll see a lot more of what we saw from them the last two or three face-offs of their first matchup, which was basically conceding the clamp and trying to turn everything into a 50-50 loose ball. And, you know, last week, going back through and watching all 19 of his face-off wins, there were six in there for, for Baptiste where either he ran himself out of real estate, gets pushed into taking a bad shot. But of those 19, six end up, basically being turnovers whether the box score says so or not 
I think you're going to see a lot of that kind of approach from San Diego of just trying to make it dirty, kind of drag them into the mud and make it as complicated of a faceoff win as he can have because, you know, you're going to lose the clamp. He's going to make adjustments. So whatever success you have will be short-lived. But you've got a couple of guys like Brody Merrill and Cam Holding who are just dogs on the ground ball, the loose balls, I should say, dogs in the loose balls. And, and, you know, having them be out there to make it more complicated, I think, is probably going to be where you see things head. But, you know, he won 25-22, something like that, against San Diego the first time. It's hard to think that he won't do the same thing again. I mean, when you're the best in the world, you're the best in the world, right? And every possession leads to multiple offensive possessions. And, and you talked about a Philadelphia can attack from any angle. What problems do they pose for the Seals defense? You know, they do a pretty good job passing horizontally. Uh, I think that if if anything, there's this maybe silly but consequential one-on-one matchup, which is Corey Small and Frank Shiliano. Uh I was talking to Doug Locker before the the first time these teams got together, and he was telling me that way back when, you know, Corey was playing for Vancouver, they'd see Calgary, and, and he always was excited whenever Frankie was being between the pipes because he always felt like he could pick corners and, and have his way with things. And that that's really how it panned out in that first meeting. Corey had three and one and really looked comfortable. So I think if there's a guy that that is is sitting there waiting to have a big night for Philadelphia and putting some pressure on the defense, Corey Small is going to be the one. And, you know, with Kevin Crowley and Ben McIntosh having done what they have recently, that right side can be just so scary. You know, I I don't I don't know if you have an answer for that, especially not structurally the way san diego's defense works i mean they really have to be perfect in initiating and funneling everything the way they want to in order to keep those guys quiet and if you look back at the game-winning goal from the first meeting between the two san diego's defense played things about as well as they could given the the structure of their defense crowley just made a play and got a nice flip pass out to benny mack and when you give him that much time and space the dude's gonna stick it in the back of the net nine times out of ten so I think there are probably some lessons that were learned, um, but, you know, Paul Day and his staff are going to have adjustments to make things difficult, put pressure. And I think one big question mark is how healthy is Rambo? You know, mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. really productive when they played San Diego, had two and four, really looked healthy, healthier than he's looked since then. So I'm a little curious what we're going to get from him because at times it's felt like that left side really kind of disappeared uh, against Georgia. But when you get enough goals to win, it doesn't matter. So we'll we'll see how they try and, and work through those issues on the left side this week. There's no shortage of studs and weapons on the front door for the SEALs. But last time you were on the podcast with us, you waxed poetically about Westberg. Does, does Berg need to be that guy and, and be that potential MVP down the stretch for this team to make a run? I think that's a tough one because the answer is probably yes. And I'm not sure if he can right now. Um, everyone's banged up. Everyone's going through stuff, but it's been a really difficult final stretch for him. I and mean, he's one of the few warriors that have really been a part of everything. The exception of one game missed with COVID. You know, Wes has been uh, a leader out the front door all season. and really has taken a beating. So I, I think that, you need to see more out of him than we have the last four or five weeks when he's had a really hard time scoring the ball. Um, but Casey Jackson's taken a tremendous amount of scoring pressure off of him. So I, I think because of Casey's presence, as long as he's able to make it through a game healthy, 
as long as, you know, Adi's able to keep himself going through the full game, Doby's able to keep himself going through the full game. I think there's enough scoring where West can be a threat on the right side without having to be the guy. But it's tough to know, man. I mean, there's a reason why you were nine and two and, and he was chief chief among those reasons. So I tend to agree that, you know, you need a, a certain level out of Westberg in order to get the win and what that looks like and what he's capable of right now. I, I, I don't know. Anyone knows. I, I think that he's probably the only one that knows for sure where he's at and, and what this all looks like. Last one for you. Uh, who ends up being the X factor in this game? I think it's Zach Higgins. I think Zach Higgins is the most underrated goaltender, except for maybe Nick Rose in our league. Um, he's truly a guy that can steal you a game. I mean, down the stretch of that Georgia game last weekend, standing on his head, m- making saves. I mean, at one point you hold him scoreless for 26 minutes, and it wasn't just a matter of Georgia taking bad shots. I mean, the guy was all over the place. I look at him, and he reminds me, he makes me think of Doug Jameson when Albany came through San Diego and he just outright stole the game. And mm-hmm. yeah, when a one and done playoff situation, I think you'll find a lot of people that would agree that goaltending you know, is the biggest X factor. And, you know, there are guys that, that, that can go a bunch of different ways. But to me, I think Zach Higgins is going to be, if Philadelphia wins the game, Zach Higgins will have played really well. They could lose with him still playing well, but if they win, he will have played a fantastic game, I think. Before we let you go, I just want to give you kudos for for making that war stat. I think people have been begging for this for a long time. Maybe I just enjoy it so much because the people that I've been thinking of to be MVP are all around the top. So maybe it's more or less me patting myself on the back. But no, in all honesty, awesome job. You can check that out at laxmetrics.com. It is the perfect stat to quantify the difference between, you know, an offensive player, defensive player transition, just sandwich it together and, and figure it out. I know it's huge in baseball, but it's about time we got it for lacrosse. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I think we're done innovating for a while. We've, we've got the holy grail. So I think we're going to take a break and sit back for a while. But, uh, you know, it's, it's award voting season. So take a peek and, and inform yourselves on, for all of our listeners on what the advanced stats say. And, and as always, try and create the most holistic approach to putting down award time and uh, just give the site a visit because we'd love to have you. Coop, appreciate you, man. Have a great call with Nick. Uh, you guys have been on Fox Sports and ESPNU or Fox 5 and ESPNU. Uh, it should be an absolutely fantastic game. Appreciate you as always, man. Uh, enjoy the environment down in Pachanga. We'll talk soon, man. Pat, Teddy, thanks so much. We'll chat soon. All right, so that's the round table. Thanks to Berm Daddy, Lax, Ab, Shoe Bomber, and Coop Perks uh, for stopping by and giving us some love and, and breaking down those games for us. But time now to go for maybe our biggest parlay of the season. Let's get into it. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLF. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, Patty, box bets time. And uh, we we went, we thought we had a pretty safe one last week with Dane getting his points and some of the games that we bet. Uh, it didn't go quite our way. But now that we are on the playoffs and I get first pick, 
I decided to really swing for the fences. So we're going to take a little piece of each game and we're going to get one of our biggest numbers of the season. So play along, follow with us. I'm going Halifax, Toronto under 21 and a half. Colorado, Calgary over 22 and a half. Albany, Buffalo over 23 and a half. And the Philadelphia Wings on the road as the wild card plus one and a half for a grand total of plus 1,800. You're getting 18 to one odds here to ride with the OTCB parlay. You, my friend, are an absolute madman, but I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, okay. Can I give you some reasoning? Yeah, of course. I was just going to say, let's dive into it. Let's, let's uh, get into it. I, 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 I just, Halifax, Toronto just screams under for me. I, I think Nick Rose and whether it's Boldy or Warren Hill are just going to, it's going to be a tight, low-scoring defensive game. Mm-hmm. Colorado Calgary rarely ever is under 20 goals in the last uh, t- 11 playoff games they've played. Uh, they just played an absolute shootout this past weekend. I have a feeling it goes way over 22 and a half. And then the Buffalo Albany game just screams over because Buffalo always puts up numbers no matter how well Dougie is playing. I just cannot see this game going over 23 and a half. And then Philadelphia on the road. We just talked to Cooper Perkins about it. They've already beat San Diego on the road. They are undefeated in overtime. They just have to keep it within two goals and make this a win for us. I have a strong feeling and will be our biggest win of the season. I love it. The vibes are so high. It's playoff time. It's do or die. It's gut check time. And that's exactly what's going on here. Go big or go home, as they say. When you originally sent it, I was like, first off, wild, wild, (laughs) wild move, but I love it. At first glance, Albany Buffalo over 23 and a half. When you think of the goaltenders, you're like, there's no way. But like the offense is like, Albany is so underrated, so good offensively. We know how good Buffalo is. But like, even if Vince and Dougie still play pretty well, and let's say it's like a 12 11 game, like that's 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 where we lose. But I could see them playing really well and it being a 15 14 game. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. like these goalies could still play well and still give up a ton, like a, a ton. So I, I love this bet, man. I absolutely love, love this bet. And while we're still doing box bets here, if you want to get a little bit of a taste of my burning take parlay of the week that mm-hmm. we'll, we'll call it, or Pat's an idiot parlay of the week. <laughs> um, if you want to take both number four seeds, Albany, over Buffalo at plus uh, 220 and Philadelphia plus 195. Parlay those together, and it's plus 844 at Cool Bet right now. So if you want to be a dummy like me and, and, and go with that, that's an option. Or you can go through all the other odds at, at Cool Bet, uh, and you'll see every single odd on game day. You'll get the player props out and Teddy – Oh, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. There is a new bet, an absolute degenerates bet. Uh Uh-oh. First team to score. No. Yes. First team to score. 
Yes. That's gotta be what dead money for most of those. Probably? Majority of them are pretty close to just even money. Even money. So if you're looking to get your night started and you want a little sprinkle to get going, first team to score, pick it, pick a side. It's almost like a coin flip. It's everyone's favorite bet at the Super Bowl: heads or tails. Well, instead, it's is it bandits or firewolves or uh, you know Halifax? I think bandits have a little bit higher. So if you think Albany is gonna come out to a hot start, I think it's plus plus a hundred right now. So um, speaking of numbers, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, the uh, odds for winning the championship have been uh, adjusted going into the playoffs. Obviously, the bandits are your favorites at plus 175, followed by Toronto at plus 320, Halifax plus 440, Colorado plus 550. Now here's where it gets interesting. The Calgary Roughnecks, reigning defending champions, on cool bet are plus 1,000. Yep. San Diego plus 1,000. Philadelphia plus 1,900. And the Albany Firewolves, the underdogiest of underdogs in the NLL playoffs, at plus 2,000. Do you sprinkle on any of those bottom four? Uh, I, I mean, Calgary's got to be it. Like, that's mm-hmm. got to be the one. Uh, Cooper alluded to it. He said there's a hard argument, or there is not a, it is a hard argument to make that there's a better team right now in the West. Um, you talk about their championship pedigree, you talk about their goaltender, you talk about the coaching staff, like at that money, 10 to one, like 10 to one. How do you not bet that? How do you not bet that? Especially um, being a home dog in the first round, like, it, or it, a home, it, home, you know, a home team in the first round, you would imagine they would get through especially and if you, with their track record. And if you just look at their path, let's say they beat Colorado, then yeah. they play either San Diego or Philly. Philly. You know, I, they might be favorites in those games. They'll definitely be a favorite against Philly. There's yeah. even a chance they might be a favorite against San Diego, even though they're in the number one seed. Um, and then, then you go into the final and it's, it's anyway, any man's game at that yeah. point, I, I, at that money. Like it's crazy not to Buffalo. Their odds are way too short. Toronto, even now uh, th- those odds are far too short. Halifax. Um, I mean, that, again, like for that, I think it's just with, with Halifax is that, There probably was a lot of bets on Halifax at the start of the year uh, for them to win. So there's a lot of risk. So you don't want to give too much juice for people to, you know, bet again. But I think Calgary is in no doubt in my mind. That is the bet that if you're looking for some value um, on the board, that's got to be it. Because if they win again, you're not seeing plus a thousand anymore. Like it's only going to keep chipping down and down and down. Uh, and if you're thinking, oh, what if uh, a Canadian team wins the championship? There are three Canadian teams in the chase for the championship to win plus 100, to lose, or American team win the cup minus 122. So uh, you're getting some good money uh, for the three Canadian teams to win the championship. And, you know, two of those three are under plus 500. So decent odds there. Pretty solid odds. And of course, you want to be a patriot, man. Come on. Yeah. It's cool that Canada. Supporting the lads. Supporting the lads. So again, our parlay this week. Halifax, Toronto, under 21 and a half. Colorado, Calgary, over 22 and a half. Albany, Buffalo, over 23 and a half. And the Wings, plus one and a half at plus 
1,500. Thanks to our crew over at CoolBet. And as always, stay cool. Bet responsibly. All right, time for some final thoughts. Um, it was an interesting past week in the lacrosse world. Um <laughs> MSL, WLA, Ontario Junior, Rocky Mountain League, and the BC Junior League all adopting NLL rules, um, a handful of rules to say the least. Uh, four second count for goalies, eight second count to half. Uh, the face-off linings uh, over and back, too many men, delayed penalties, quick restarts on dead ball whistles, sudden death OT rules, uh, penalty shot if you go down three men, and just, you know, tightening up off-ball slashing and illegal picks. I think this is long overdue. I think it's much needed. I think this is a great adjustment for the CLA. My only issue is I wish it was all of senior and all of junior. Case in yep. point, our Tier 1 Junior Bs played a game this weekend, and we were using NLL face-off rules, so our guys were lined up on the back restraining line, but we weren't playing over and back. We weren't playing fours. We weren't playing eights. We weren't doing quick whistles. Like we, we got to find that balance. And if we're doing it for one junior league, why not do it for all junior leagues? So for guys that are moving up and down through lineups, it's constantly the same. And it's constantly the same for the officials because that is a mind melt for officials to try to remember, oh, I'm doing a junior B game. It's not eight seconds. It's 10 seconds when you're shorthanded or there's no eight seconds to get over half at any time. So uh, I understand the, the tier, the, the junior B leagues have already started, but these, this conversation has been in the works for a while now. So I, I just don't know why they didn't make it for all uh, of senior lacrosse, but I think it's a good step in the right direction. Yeah, it is. It's a right step in the direction, but it's it's a baby step. Like it, it was so close. It's like why like why could it just not be everything? And I understand it's not the CLA's fault. Like uh, I don't know. I I think in Ontario for Junior B, like it was voted against to change any of those rules. So um, maybe it is up to CLA to say, hey guys, that's it. Like these are the rules. This is what we're going to do, um, whether you like it or not. Because uh, everyone complains about you know, officiating, everyone complains about, you know, the not being able to put butts in the seats. Well, to create a better product is to put those NLL rules in because that hundred percent, I was calling games at the OJL last year and it just, it creates a better product. I don't care what anyone says. It's a faster game. It's better for development and for officials. If you think an official's not doing a great job, maybe they aren't, but also like you said, they might have their, heads in an absolute blender trying to remember which book they're pulling exactly. from so and like even, even kids were like you know they were like oh that's over and back over and back over and back and they're like no we're, we're not playing that yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just a mind meld so uh, yeah. i appreciate the initiative um obviously both leagues or all five leagues have kind of come together with with some executives and some sort of uh overseeing members uh that are involved in in the nll to kind of help this process move along. I just think they could have made it for all junior lacrosse, all senior lacrosse and just kind of speed up that process, but we'll see how it plays out. See how those five leagues adopt, adapt to it and use it. And hopefully as we move on, more leagues will find that path. Uh, news came out on Tuesday 
that the New Westminster Salmon Bellies have signed Zach Higgins for the summer. And uh, this is a nice little addition for the Salmon Bellies as they're kind of going head-to-head with the Langley Thunder to be the top dogs in the West. But when I saw this deal, a hot take popped into my mind. Can I give it to you? Feed it to me, bud. Um, Okay, so in the press release, the Bellies said that Kevin Crowley initiated the contact with Higgins and the Bellies to get him to come out West. So both are Philadelphia Wings. Kevin Crowley is a UFA coming up. My hot take is that Kevin Crowley and Zach Higgins play this summer for the New Westminster Salmon Bellies. Higgins loves life out West and decides to stay. Crowley then signs as a UFA in Vancouver, and Vancouver somehow finds a way to trade for Zach Higgins. They add another talented right-hander, a local guy, and they get a elite or an elite goaltender in Zach Higgins. Wow. That is a hot take, but that is a take that I absolutely love. Tin foil Teddy with the yeah. conspiracy here. I love it. That would be unbelievable. I mean, if you think about it, like that's exactly, I mean, the offense on the right-hand side was fine down the stretch. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not it, but the consistent goaltending, like, are you kidding me? That's exactly what that defensive unit needs in Vancouver. And just the only thing is, is does Paul day part ways with his goaltender who I know he's absolutely loves, but. And he's, if, he's got him signed for like two or three more years on a contract. So it would have to be a, a miraculous deal coming their way. Maybe but, you put kilt, maybe it's killing and a first and something else, yeah. or maybe, maybe Charlotte. Who knows? Who knows? I like it though. I like it. And I know we got to think about the playoffs, Teddy here, but my brain, and I know we were talking like, I'm already thinking a little bit about the draft and the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. And, free mm-hmm. and like, well, let's focus on the playoffs, <laughs> but let's not get too sad when the season wraps up because oh. it's going to be a crazy off. Season. I, I actually think this is going to be a banana lands off season because with all the teams in the West kind of battling for those Western free agents, adding Vegas to the mix is going to make that free agent season all that much more interesting because who wouldn't want to play for Vegas? Yeah. And who wouldn't want to play for Willie? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, PLL news, uh, the WA and MSL have basically sent out a joint statement pleading for the PLL to, uh, evaluate their rules on letting, Canadians play in both the PLL and the Canadian summer seasons. We will see how that unfolds. But in the meantime, uh, Tim Sudan and the Chrome have signed Mike Messenger to a contract. So um, he will be a problem if he plays in the PLL because he's a former D2 player of the year, former midfielder of the year, uh, one of the best D2 players over the last couple of decades. Hasn't played a lot of field since, but I think in that PLL system, whether he's playing short stick D or he's matched up on a short stick, he is going to be a problem. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, south of the border saw that. And one, well, I mean, one, probably some are like, who the hell is this guy? Two, though, it's like, oh, he'll be a great short stick D mini. Well, he will be, but he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to transition the ball up the floor uh, or up the field, I should say. And I'm excited to see him 
in the field game and in the PLL, especially with that Chrome team, man. Sudo, man, he loves his gritty Canadians. He loves his gritty uh, upstate and Western New York. Like that is a team that uh, if you're not too sure who to cheer for and you're a Canadian and you don't want to jump on the chaos bandwagon because every Canadian lacrosse fan seems to cheer for them, the Chrome they're a little bit of an underdog when it comes to some Canadian content. And of course the water dogs too, but hard not to like that Chrome team. Uh, sticking with field team Canada announced their sixes roster. And if you want to see a wagon, <laughs> um, check out this roster, Berg, Bowering, Burn, Cole, Courier, McIntosh, Peterson, Rogers, Smith, Teat, with Ward and Dobson between the pipes. I Yes, the Americans are going to be uber talented. Yes, the Iroquois are going to be uber talented. But that is just a ridiculous roster for Team Canada. And the, the big thing is it's like the way the game is played, It's you're going to have to play a little bit of defense. But mm-hmm. for the majority there, those guys like – Courier, Bowering, um, you know, even Peterson, like Rogers, like Peterson, he can play deep. That's no problem at all. But this team, oh my God, I'm, I, you, you said it. Obviously, um, the Haudenosaunee is going to be really talented. Team US is going to be really talented. But on paper, I don't know how another team puts a more well-rounded unit than this Canada team. And shout out Dobson, man, yeah. um, for for cracking this roster. Obviously, Ward is going to be their starter. He's going to be their guy. Um, but get used to hearing that name. Um, yeah. A tremendous season right now with St. Bonnie's doing some great things uh, there, but he, it's also his draft year in the NLL. He's entering the PLL draft. Like this is a goaltender of the future, whether it's indoor or out. Uh, the fact that, you know, Berg, Smith and Teat are the three like true O guys out that and maybe Peterson, but they can all play defense is just, just adds to their talent level. You know what I mean? So hey, hey, um, d- don't forget, don't forget Dane Smith, former I, transition I'm player. I'm not don't forgetting people. that. I'm not forgetting that. <laughs> don't forget Westberg, you know, Coquitlam Peewee played defense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, Dane Smith did start out as a defender in the National Lacrosse League. None of us will forget that. But it's just it's just an absolutely incredible roster, and I cannot wait to – you know what? I'm going to give sixes all my attention because we obviously have to see how it's going to play out and if it's going to be, you know, the model of the future for the Olympics. When we're putting best on best, and it's not just kind of an exhibition showcase, I think it'll be elite lacrosse, and, and I cannot wait uh, for the world championships to happen down in Alabama. Uh, that'll do it. For our show, unless you got anything else, Patty. Let's start the games now. Uh, roll Ironheads, roll Shamrocks. Yes, roll sir. Oilers. Okay, roll Leafs, whatever. Um, thanks to Steve Bermel, John Abbott, Jamie Shuchuk, and Cooper Perkins. Um, again, Halifax at Toronto, TSN Game of the Week. Colorado at Calgary. Both those games are Friday. Albany at Buffalo, and then Philadelphia at San Diego. That game will be on Fox 5 in San Diego and on ESPNU. It is one and done. Win and move on. Lose and cry, cry, cry. He's Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter, at Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. And on Instagram, 
at OTCB Podcast. Until we speak again, we will be at eight, down to four. We'll have more games to talk about. Until then, enjoy the games. Take a friend if you do go. And as always, be excellent to each other.